Well, ask yourself these questions. Would you describe yourself as unique, special, one of a kind? Is it hard to put a label on you or to fit you into a nice, neat box? Is there no one else quite like you anywhere? Do you thrive when you work creatively? Do you experience the world more through your emotions than you do more through your intellect? If you answered yes to any of those, you might be a number four personality type, the individualist. We are in week four of our series called What's Your Number? And together we're exploring how each one of us is made to experience life-giving relationships with God and with other people using the Enneagram system of personality types. Now, the Enneagram is a tool, much like other tools similar to it, like Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders or DISC. All of those help people discover how they have been uniquely created and gifted. These can help us come to know ourselves better and how to relate better with other people as well. Over the years, we have used Myers-Briggs with our staff here at Anderson Hills to help us learn how each one of us is kind of wired differently than others. We've also used the Strength Finders personality test to help us work better collaboratively in teams, and we've found that that has worked out really well for our ministry here. You probably use some of these tools, too, in your workplace Well, we hope that you will make some discoveries over the course of this series about yourself so that you can more fully understand how uniquely God has created you so that you can learn to grow in your relationship with other people and in your walk with the Lord. Today, we're looking at the fourth personality type, which is called the individualist. Now, number fours are also sometimes referred to as the romanticists or the creative types. They are vibrant and sensitive and creative people. They see the aesthetic beauty in the world all around them. They are very expressive with their feelings and they feel things deeply. In fact, it's been said that number fours don't have feelings. They are their feelings. Can you relate with that? Individualists, as the type implies, feel unique and special, and they sometimes feel their differences and complexity make them almost impossible for other people to understand. Of course, on one thing, that can be a great thing, right? To be unique and special and one of a kind, that you have something unique to offer to the whole world. But on the other hand, as you might imagine, being too different can lead to some feelings of melancholy, even depression sometimes, if you feel like no one can possibly understand you or that you're always going to be misunderstood. That's never a good feeling. So fours strive to engage in meaningful relationships with other people. In fact, they want to make a difference in other people's lives by connecting with them on a deep emotional level. Interestingly, statistics show that individualists are the lowest percentage of all the types in the population. Now, you'll find number fours everywhere you go in life, in all aspects of life. Of course, many of them do enter careers in the arts like film or photography, fashion, graphic design, music, the theater, and so on. 
But you'll find individualists everywhere. They make great contributions wherever they go, in the community or in businesses or churches, wherever creativity and emotional connection is needed. And let's face it, that's needed everywhere, isn't it? Individualists desire most to share their creativity with other people as a way of expressing love. Their gift to the world is reflecting God's creativity and God's depth. Fours are not only in tune with their own feelings and emotions, but they also have this uncanny way of picking up and tuning in to other people's emotions and feelings too. Most people will experience an individualist as a very empathetic person. And so number fours make great friends. They're great to talk to because they will actually understand you. Of course, as with all the personality types, there are some weaknesses, some fears, some longings. Number fours fear that they might be seen as mundane or ordinary or that they might just go unnoticed. They want to avoid at all costs being seen as basic. They long to hear the words, there is something special, really special about you that sets you apart from everyone else in the whole world. They often focus on what is missing or what they feel like they might be missing out on. To them, sometimes it seems like other people are always more happy, more content than they are. In fact, the individualist's core sin is envy or covetousness. Number fours are at their best when they live out of what they're feeling, when they do the things that give them passion and purpose in their lives. They love to be free to express themselves and communicate in unique and creative ways. But fours are at their worst when they are afraid that others will see them as ordinary or unoriginal, when they are ignored or not asked to make a contribution, when they are unrecognized, they will have strong internal feelings that often come out in some really unhealthy external ways. Hannah is a 29-year-old portrait photographer. She lives in a small beach town on the west coast of California. She loves waking up early in the morning to go out on the beach and photograph the surfers as they catch some early morning waves. She also loves to travel the world and experience new cultures and meet new people. Hannah's desire to know herself makes her a remarkable artist. She's never afraid to dive into the deep recesses of her mind to find new inspiration for her art. Her imagination is often on hyperdrive, and she constantly looks for ways to make the world around her match the world as she pictures it in her dreams. Her friends value her creative input and are constantly roping her into collaborating with them on creative projects and to capitalize on her good taste and original ideas. When Hannah is inspired, she produces remarkable work and stunning imagery. Her inspired energy is sometimes seems to be tireless. She can stay up late into the night working through an idea and completely lose track of time, enjoying every moment of exploring her curiosity. But when Hannah feels overwhelmed or unoriginal, she can slip into an average or unhealthy state when she's not feeling inspired or happy, she can't complete her task or produce creative work. 
Then she often spends just as much time getting in the mood, psyching herself up to take photos as she does actually taking the photos themselves. She can often sink into seasons of depression, questioning herself and feeling exhausted from the pressure to make meaningful art. She can get so wrapped up in trying to understand her emotions that she becomes paralyzed by them. And if left unchecked, Hannah can become depressed and emotionally unstable. Where she once felt led by inspiration, she now feels lost and directionless. Afraid of settling for a boring life or losing her creative ability, Hannah can wallow in self-pity, feeling jealous of other people's personal accomplishments. She'll eventually settle into an apathetic state, losing her connection to her work, and becoming envious of others' perceived success. This negative spiral leaves her feeling drained and hopeless. Well, we have just one number four on our staff here at Anderson Hills, and her name is Laura Berger. I want you to take a look and a listen to this video that she made for us. Another name for this type of the Enneagram individualist is intense creative. How does that fit you? I can tell you I am not a painter, I'm not a sculptor, I'm not a musician, um, although I can make a mean cupcake. Um, innovative wise, I think it's really been exemplified in the ways that we do outreach. I've been on staff for 18 years. And I have seen a lot of growth and a lot of change. I also see that communities change and the way that we have to meet those changing needs also has to change. So I think that's where the innovative part has come into play. Laura, what has resonated with you the most about being a type four? Well, it was a bit disheartening to learn that MV is the sin associated with individualism. However, I can see that it plays into my biggest fear of not being seen or heard because, you know, I oftentimes see what others have or the way others think or the way others do things. And it, it leads me to feel like I'm lacking, that I don't have much to offer. Um, so I think that's been one of my biggest takeaways from learning about this type. What is your deepest fear? The feeling or fear of not being seen or heard. What is your greatest need? For people to see me as God sees me, as unique and special. How does the type four individualist impact your relationship with Christ? Well, I think it's in just the short time I've been getting to know my type, it has helped me grow closer to Christ. You know, he made me unique and special, and he does not make mistakes. So it has helped me become more fully reliant on him rather than what's around me. 
Flora exemplifies so much of the individualist, uh, and she does make a mean cupcake. I mean, she, they're delicious and they're artful, every bit as those ones of the fancy cupcake stores you go to. She feels her emotions deeply, and I got to tell you that she can read my emotions too. It's kind of scary sometimes. I might be having a bad day or going through something. I'm trying to hide it from everyone. Laura knows exactly what people are going through, and she'll come up and she'll say, what's, what's, what's up? You want to talk about it? Um, she is a number four through and through. Well, King David was most likely also a type four. As you know, he was a man after God's own heart who expressed his feelings beautifully and creatively. David is often credited with writing the book of Psalms, poems, which creatively and emotionally speak to God and about God. As a result of his passion for God, he was Israel's greatest king who envisioned the city of Jerusalem being a place of worship and of rule. David was original and true to himself in everything that he did. One day, when King David was finally able to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem, he was so full of joyous emotion that he actually danced in the streets. You can read about this account in 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. It says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now Michael was King Saul's daughter, but she was also one of King David's wives. She thought that it was undignified for the king to dance in such a way publicly in front of his subjects. But you see, David wasn't dancing for his subjects. They weren't his audience. David's audience was God, and he was dancing as a form of worship to honor the Lord. You see, fours connect deeply, emotionally with God. Now, David often used unconventional, creative ways to honor the Lord, Remember back when he was a young man and he went up to defeat the great Philistine giant named Goliath? King Saul wanted David to wear protective armor and to use weapons that were too heavy for him to even pick up, let alone actually use in battle. But the young man used a more creative approach, one that he was familiar with. He used his slingshot as his weapon and he chose five smooth stones to put in his pouch. And he slayed Goliath with the first rock that he propelled toward him. David went up against Goliath in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. And the Lord gave Goliath into his hands. Yes, David sometimes acted unconventionally and it worked out great. Unfortunately, one time he went against the norm for a king and it didn't work out so well. We find this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. 
From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. You see, in ancient Israel... Spring was the time of year when kings led their armies into battle because winter was the rainy season, but in spring, the roads began to dry out again, making it easier for armies to be on the move. And unlike today, when kings and presidents send their generals out to do battle, in ancient Israel, the kings led their armies into war. Now, sometimes I find the Bible gives these subtle little clues that something is just a little bit off, that something is just not quite right, and as a result, things aren't going to work out so well. I always think in my own mind that these clues act kind of like a musical score in the background of a movie, right? Here's what I mean. The Bible says in the spring, when kings go off to war, dot, 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 And then ends with, but David remained in the palace. And you can almost hear the orchestra go, (laughs) dun-dun-dun. And because David remained at home, he got himself in a whole lot of trouble. He spotted Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop, sent for her, slept with her, committing adultery with another man's wife. And the two of them ended up conceiving a child together. Now, David had a lot. He had everything. He was a king after all. But he was envious of something that he did not have. You see, envy is the core weakness of a number four. But David began to make matters even worse. Bathsheba's husband is Uriah the Hittite, and he is a faithful warrior in King David's army. David hatches a scheme that compounds the sin he has committed with Bathsheba. He sends for Uriah to come home from the front lines. He asks how the war is going. He asks how the commanders are doing, how the soldiers are doing. And then he sends Uriah down to his home for the night, assuming that he will sleep with his wife and end up believing that the baby is his. But Uriah is much too upstanding of a man for that. Far be it from him to enjoy the comforts of his own home and even his wife while his fellow soldiers are out on the front lines in battle. Well, David learns that Uriah didn't spend the night at home, and so he asks him to spend one more night in Jerusalem. In fact, he extends an invitation to dine with him that evening at the palace. You can imagine what an honor that must have been. David works to get Uriah drunk, thinking that he will lose his inhibitions and certainly spend the night at home this second night. But again, Uriah is too upstanding, and he sleeps just outside the palace gates. And so David sends him back to battle and sends word to Joab, his commander, to make sure Uriah dies in battle. Uriah is killed, and David takes Bathsheba to be one of his wives. 
adultery, cover-up, lying, murder. David should have done what he was supposed to do. He should have been where he was supposed to be. It's always easier to avoid temptation, to run in the other direction than it is to stop once you've started down the path of sin. It's like a rock that's rolling downhill that just gathers speed until it crashes at the bottom. And these things that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, with a word to share with David. Nathan tells David the story of two men, one who's really rich, who has everything at his disposal, and one who is really poor, and all that he has is one little ewe lamb, who's way more than just an animal, way more than just a pet. She is more like one of the family. And one day a traveler came to stay with the rich man, but the rich man didn't want to take one of his own sheep or his own cows to slaughter and prepare a meal for the traveler. And so he took the one little ewe lamb from the poor man, killed it, and prepared it to serve to the traveler. And as David heard Nathan tell this story, his emotions just rose up inside of him. He became so angry, and he declared that the rich man who did this horrible thing deserved to die. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt to the Lord, the son born to you will die. David had sinned greatly, but he recognized his sin as soon as he was confronted with it. He repented immediately and asked for forgiveness. And although all of the consequences of his sin could not be removed, God did forgive David. And David continued to be a man after God's own heart all the days of his life. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David wrote after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. It is a heartfelt psalm that asks God for forgiveness, acknowledges our sins so that we be can become cleansed and forgiven. Christians use Psalm 51 every year on Ash Wednesday at the beginning of the season of Lent to come before God with contrition, to seek His forgiveness for our sins, and to acknowledge that we are but frail human beings and that God's grace alone is the only thing that can save us from our sin. 
Thanks be to God for sending Jesus, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Throughout his life, David kept learning, kept growing, kept seeking God. Even when he had made some terrible mistakes, David sought to grow in grace. So what are some ways that we, and especially the individualist, can grow in grace? There are several things. And first is, I think when you believe and trust that God loves you, that all God has is yours, you can begin to relax and to learn to celebrate your own uniqueness. You can even begin to love yourself just the way you are, just the way God made you. You can begin to embrace all of the things that make you unique and different and affirm those things about yourself. I think fours can also learn to look more realistically at others, seeing them as they really are and not through a pair of rose-colored glasses. Fours can learn to love, accept, and affirm other people's uniqueness without feeling envious or jealous of them or like in comparison, they are lacking something. I also think it's helpful for fours who live out of their heart and out of their emotions, who don't just have feelings, but they are their feelings, to learn to get more in touch with their feelings, to recognize their feelings for what they are, to name the feelings that they are having. I think it's good for any of us to sometimes try and stand on the outside of ourself, looking in, just observing our feelings. It's helpful for every one of us to know that no one is really their feelings. Feelings are just something that we have. And when we learn to recognize them, we can then respond to them in the way that we choose to respond to them and not react to them in a way that might lead us down a harmful path. Fours can also learn to observe the beauty all around them of everyday things. Of course there is beauty in the unique, one-of-a-kind, extraordinary things in the world. But there is also beauty in the mundane, everyday, ordinary things of life. A bee on a flower, the uniqueness of a leaf that has fallen to the ground, a jet trail in the sky. And finally, I think fours can learn the art of gratitude, of thanking God for making them just the way they are, for making them who they are. King David expressed this well in Psalm 139 when he exclaims to God, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Fours, you are uniquely and wonderfully made. 
the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that through Jesus, everything was made. That includes you. Jesus made you, and not one thing was made without Jesus. So, He sees you. He understands you. He knows you better than you know yourself, and He loves you. So, let Jesus' love fill you up to overflowing and fulfill the greatest longings of your heart. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for creating each and every one of us so uniquely, so differently, but that together, Lord, we make so much more than we could ever be on our own. Thank you for creating number fours, for their creativity, for their emotional um, connectivity with other people, and for all the gifts you've given them in the body of Christ. Lord, help each one of us to discover who we are, how you made us, how much you love us, and let that transform us, Lord, so that together as we all work in the way that you've uniquely designed us to do, that we fulfill the body of Christ in the world, that we reach the world for Christ, and that we transform the world um, as you would have it be. We pray all of these things, giving you thanks and praise in the name and for the sake of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.